Chapter 23 of The Romance of Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Piracy by Edward Kebble Chatterton. Chapter 23 Plot and Counterplot. On the day following the incident of the above murder, smith was busy on deck making a new gaff topsail for the schooner when the cry came from the lookout man a sail a sail well knowing that the englishman was the most reliable of all his crew the captain at once sent smith aloft to scan the sea as the schooner was got under way smith reported that the vessel in sight was a merchant brig whereupon orders were given to go in pursuit ordered to return to the deck the englishman's advice was sought as to the best mode of fighting the brig in case she should resist and while the schooner's pilot was occupied in taking the ship out to the open sea through the intricate channel smith was set to devise some suitable strategy the pirate ship was not long in gaining on the brig and having come up to within a short distance fired a gun and hoisted spanish colours this the brig answered by heaving to and displaying the british ensign it should be mentioned that the brig rig was not confined to ships of the merchant service but that the royal navy had similar vessels on its list let it be remembered that in those days of hemp and canvas there was not the smart distinction between a ship of war and a ship of commerce that there is to-day no one in this present year of grace could possibly mistake a liner for a battleship but a brig of the early nineteenth century might be naval or mercantile some of the merchant ships carried guns for self-defence and there was very little to distinguish them from the government vessels and in those days the red ensign had not yet been entirely abandoned by the navy to the use of merchant craft therefore we can well understand that when the schooner came near to this brig the latter's painted ports and her smart figurehead caused the pirate to hesitate and to wonder whether this was not a man-of-war if she were then the contest would not be likely to favour the schooner but he was by no means certain and being still a safe distance off he ordered the fore topsail of his schooner to be laid aback and hove to by that time he was rather inclined to think the brig was after all a merchantman and so calling smith he informed him of the intention to send a boat to board her under the englishman's directions this announcement greatly alarmed the latter and he pointed out that should he be captured it would be an ignominious death for a british sailor as usual when any of his orders were likely to be disobeyed the pirate became furiously incensed and what are you sir he taunted that you should not suffer as well as myself the schooner shall never be captured for when i can no longer defend her i shall blow her up if you do not instantly go he threatened i will shoot you smith knew that the pirate was a man who used no idle threats and yet for an english sailor to attack an english ship was an unthinkable proposition 
you may shoot me if you please was his brave answer but i will not commit an act that might subject me and my family to disgrace the pirate now realized that smith was as determined as he and resort must be made to the measures which had been already employed so profitably he therefore commanded his crew to blindfold smith to have him taken forward and told the man himself to prepare for death after a time the pirate came to smith and asked him if he were now ready for death yes answered the man courageously and firmly no sooner had this word been uttered than a sharp volley of musketry rang out but smith was not shot the captain's intention had been merely to strike terror into his brave heart it was a great trial to his nerves but the man never flinched from his resolution the pirate knowing how invaluable smith had become to the efficient working of the ship was reluctant to lose him but for all that he was determined to break his independent spirit coming up to him after the firing of the volley he inquired of the englishman as to whether he were not seriously wounded in answering in the negative smith begged that if it was the captain's intention to destroy him he would not trifle with him death i prefer to disgrace said he but the pirate was adamant the next command was to lash smith to the mainmast and to remove the bandage from his eyes the captain himself could be seen cutting up a number of cartridges and the powder he placed around smith by his feet on deck a train was laid and then the ship's cook was ordered to light a match and send it aft once more the pirate gave smith a chance but again the firm answer was returned a terrific explosion ensued flames leapt into the air and encircled the man who preferred death to dishonor up and up blazed the fire and with his hands pinioned he could do nothing to relieve himself of his sufferings his cries of pain were met with ridicule and the captain tauntingly and like the veritable bully that he was inquired of him will you now obey me but there is a limit to human suffering though many a man both before and after that incident has endured the flame to the end it is in no wise a disgrace if smith in his excruciating agony at length yielded to the pirate and at length acquiescence being extorted by the vilest form of torture smith gave in and was ordered to be released there are few acts which a virile man and especially a sailor hates more than to faint and yet so grievous had been his sufferings that the englishman promptly lost consciousness some of the crew carried him down below and when he came to he found himself stretched on a mattress in the cabin with a racking pain that gave him no respite in his frenzy and delirium he meditated self-destruction and begged the steward to lend him his knife for a moment he however like the sneaking cur that was so characteristic of this dago crew straightway went to inform the captain who came below in another of his furious tempers you want to kill yourself young man i understand was his salutation 
but I do not mean that you should die yet. I shall blow you up again, for I see it is the only way to make you obey me. But, happily, the threat was not immediately put into execution. Frankly, it was the intention of the pirate that his most useful man should regain his health as quickly as possible. Smith's wounds were dressed, and the cook, who was the one man who seemed to have any sympathy, made Smith's bed for him. The latter was in great pain, but was able to converse. He learned that by now the schooner had returned to her anchorage, for the pirate had eventually been so convinced that the brig was a man of war, and that Smith had intended to decoy the corsair into the hands of the British, that an attack on the brig had been deemed inadvisable. So immediately after Smith had been taken below, the schooner had headed for harbor. The cook, at least, had the courage of his convictions, and openly expressed his opinion of the pirate captain as a man of the worst character, adding that the latter had already killed over twenty people with his own hand. Meanwhile, the master of a coasting schooner, who had entered the harbor, brought news that the Zephyr had arrived at Havana, and announced the circumstances of her capture by the schooner. The pirate captain, on the receipt of this intelligence, and remembering that he had admonished Lumsden not to call at Havana, was beside himself with rage. Rushing into the cabin where the sick man lay, he exclaimed to Smith, See what dependence can be placed on your countrymen. That old rascal has gone to the Havana and broken a solemn promise but this will be a lesson to me not to trust the English again, for I now find them as treacherous as the Americans. He thinks, proceeded the pirate with increasing anger, he is out of my reach. But, mark me, if he remains a few days longer at the Havana, he shall never live to see England. I have three or four already on the watch to assassinate him and the pirate usually carried out his threats of vengeance. That same evening, while the crew were at their evening meal, accompanied by the usual carousing and guitar-playing, the merriment was suddenly brought to a halt by the sound of approaching oars. Instantly the men were sent to quarters, and every man stood in readiness to open fire. The boat was hailed in Spanish, and a Spanish voice returned the hail, the oarsmen were allowed to come alongside, and informed the captain that some more of the original members of the crew, who were accomplices of the man that had been accused of plotting, had now arrived, and were prepared to revenge the deaths of those men whom the captain had killed in the creek as already narrated. Now, it should be mentioned at once that, following out his threat to have Lumsden assassinated, the pirate captain had already sent at least one man, whose name was Stromeda, overland to Havana. This man was to procure a horse and to hurry to the port, so that he might arrive before the Zephyr had cleared. This intention had reached the ears of the late members of the pirate's crew, and they in turn vowed, as a means of partially revenging themselves, to kill the man now on his way to Havana story is indeed varied by so much plotting and counterplot 
that it is not easy to unravel the main narrative. However, the receipt of this news caused great consternation among the schooner's crew, and to show how little, for their own part, they sympathized with any mutineers. Ten of the ship's company now volunteered to go ashore to protect the man hurrying towards Havana. The captain thoroughly approved of the suggestion, and well supplied with arms and ammunition, the party set forth. The oars dug into the water, and the boat advanced to the shore. About midnight, the boat returned to the schooner, and the captain was informed that, on the beach, they had met a servant dispatched post-haste from the magistrate, whom we have already mentioned as the father of Serafina. This gentleman sent information that Stromeda was already a prisoner and about to be put to death. The captain was further informed that on hearing this news, the men from the schooner had taken a circuitous route through the wood, had eluded the scouts of the mutinous gang that were seeking to kill Stromeda, and had surprised four of this gang while busy under a tree, playing cards and drinking. These four men they had captured, and had next proceeded to the magistrate's house, into which they had fired their muskets through the doors and windows, and discharged their blunderbusses. The precise object of this action was difficult to ascertain, unless they had expected that other mutineers were there hiding, and they had quite unintentionally wounded the magistrate. But they found Stromeda lying bound hand and foot, and having released him, the latter was able to resume his journey to Havana. It was found that two of the mutineers' party had been killed. Two more were taken prisoners, and two others, acting as scouts, had escaped after wounding one of the schooner's crew. Smith was approaching convalescence, but he was yet far from recovered. All the time that he had been lying on his bed of sickness, many a thought had passed through his mind, many a longing to escape from this life as an involuntary pirate. Many times, too, he had thought of Serafina, and of her promise that if she could assist his escape, she would fly with him to England. The accident to the magistrate was now the means of Smith having opportunity to see Serafina once again. Were the circumstance not true and actual, one would have called the incident a rather far-fetched coincidence. But I have already emphasized the fact that this is no fiction. It was policy for the pirate captain and the magistrate to render every assistance to each other. Their aims and ambitions were, in many respects, identical. Therefore, on learning of the latter's injury, Smith, still supposed to possess a unique medical ability, was sent to dress the magistrate's wounds. The Englishman himself had not yet recovered from his own injuries, so, reclining on a mattress with one of the ship's hatches underneath, he was transferred to a boat and rowed ashore. No time had been wasted, for it was now only 2 a.m. For most of three miles, Smith was carried on the back of a horse, through a forest, until they arrived at the house of the magistrate. Having been carried into the house, the first sight to greet him was Serafina, who, rushing to his embrace, cried, 
take me for they have just killed my father with this announcement she burst into tears smith was taken to the room where the magistrate was lying attended by the latter's wife oh my dear mother exclaimed seraphina this is the good englishman who has come to cure my father for in spite of the lady's lack of logic the magistrate was not wounded mortally lying stretched out on his bed covered with blood he presented a sorry spectacle none the less lying on another bed was another man who had also been wounded during the same incident it was seen that the magistrate's arm had been fractured by a ball which had passed through his shoulder and lodged in his arm with no little skill smith succeeded in extracting this ball and then proceeded to bind up the wound exhausted with his labors smith was afterwards allowed to recline in another room and seraphina full of gratitude came to attend on him it had been some time since their first meeting and the unfortunate accident to the magistrate had thus brought them together once again on many an occasion smith during the period intervening had been planning some means of escape and now away from the schooner he was able to relate the experiences through which he had recently passed he reminded the lady of her promise and her affection to which she replied in terms which left no possible doubt in smith's mind i have resolved she answered to accompany you and will remove every obstacle in the best way i can but caution is necessary you must therefore be patient a little later and the time came for smith to be carried down by the pirates to the beach night had vanished and it was now broad daylight arrived back on the schooner smith found that this was not to be the last of such visits as the pirate captain regularly sent him ashore to heal the magistrate's wounds on other occasions on each of these visits smith was able to obtain interviews with seraphina and to advance further their plans for flight she had made every preparation she said to escape to england in his company i have arranged all she went on the guide is in readiness and it only remains for us to fix the time and find the opportunity many schemes were proposed and as many rejected until at length it was agreed that smith should come over late in the second evening under the pretense of performing some essential surgical operation on the magistrate it was resolved that in the meantime she should have the horses and guide waiting a short distance away the best laid schemes of lovers however sometimes work out badly for the guide proved to be treacherous informed seraphina's father and mother and had it not been for the consummate skill of seraphina herself in turning this accusation against the accuser serious complications would have ensued as it was nothing worse happened than the loss of the fifty dollars with which the guide had been paid in advance but on board the schooner the pirate captain was beginning to chafe a little at the magistrate's continued illness and declared that as soon as smith's services could possibly be dispensed with the englishman was to be put to death 
for there was a possibility that if he escaped his knowledge which he had now obtained of the channels through the dangerous reefs would enable any english man-of-war to find her way into the harbour of the pirate the captain's suspicions of a plot for smith's escape had begun to take definite shape and henceforth he resolved that even if it were necessary for the magistrate to be attended by smith the former should in the future be brought off to the schooner instead of smith going ashore stromeda who had been able to reach havana in safety and to return to the schooner came back with tidings which depressed the pirate captain he had done his best to carry out the work of assassination but unfortunately for him the brig with lumsden on board had already left havana before stromeda had reached there so life on the pirate ship returned to its normal state smith was regaining his strength but he had not lost anything of his intention to escape if chance should present itself one day whilst at anchor a sail was descried in the offing and the captain made her out to be an english brig with full quarters and the familiar white streak which was so much favoured in those days the schooner was got under way and the deck cleared for action meanwhile the gunner informed smith that there were not enough cartridges made up for a long action in case the stranger should keep up a resistance so the englishman set to work to make some more before this had been done a second english brig was seen as the schooner continued to chase the first of these craft which took not the slightest notice of the corsair although the latter fired several guns and hoisted american colours the captain was fuming with rage the chase kept on until the schooner's long gun was shotted and fired this at last produced the desired effect and the brig hove to the schooner then hauled down the american colours which the pirate had hoisted and showed a red flag in their place a boat was lowered from the schooner six armed men a pilot and smith being sent away in her for the latter had no thoughts again of resisting but smith was strictly enjoined to hold no conversation with the brig's crew or captain and the pilot was instructed to throw the brig's skipper overboard then tack the craft towards the shore and send smith back to the schooner however smith persuaded the pilot to disobey that mandate on reaching the brig the latter's captain met the pirates at the gangway and inquired who they were to which question nothing but an evasive answer was given the brig was tacked towards the land and then the corsair firing a musket smith was ordered to tell the captain and crew to get in a boat and proceed on board the schooner end of chapter twenty three recording by linda johnson